0: Hi there, welcome to Active Intelligence. I'm Aaron Ironside. I hope you'll spend the next half an hour with me as we take a look at social issues that are affecting ordinary Kiwis and find out what the other side of the story is. Some balance rather than some bias. And with Christopher Luxon, the new leader of the National Party, there couldn't be a more perfect week than to talk about faith and politics on Active Intelligence. On today's episode, I catch up with Alfred Naro, former National MP, former pastor, to talk about his faith in politics, but of course this week all eyes were on the National Party as they appointed Christopher Luxon to be the new leader. And it would seem that the journalists only knew two things about Luxon, that he was the former boss of Air New Zealand and an evangelical Christian.
1: A self-described evangelical Christian, Christopher Luxon has conservative views against abortion and euthanasia.
0: My faith is personal to me.
2: It is not in itself a political agenda.
1: Not hiding his political ambitions or the influence of his evangelical Christian faith on his life.
2: My faith is a very personal thing. It gives me centre, it sort of mission, you know, it gives me mission and purpose.
1: That faith filtering through. Christopher Luxon is socially conservative. After his botany seat nomination in 2019, News Hub asked his stance on legalising cannabis.
2: I'm against that.
1: End of life choice.
2: I'm against the
0: reforms.
1: And abortion.
0: Those are
2: issues where I personally
0: am not up for the reforms. Christopher Luxon has some clear talking points about faith, doesn't he? It's pretty obvious that he's been briefed on, on what to say. His mantra, which he used in his maiden speech and in pretty much every press appearance ever since, is that his faith is personal. Uh, The idea being, of course, is that uh, people shouldn't be afraid that he's going to be suddenly asking God how to vote and uh, using his faith to uh, guide him in the political arena. That he has a a personal friendship with God, I suppose, is the idea and that uh, it's part of his personal life, which is true. It's just not part of his private life. Just like your marriage is personal, but it's not private. You have a public a celebration of your love, a wedding for everybody to see that you'll be married. And the people of faith, of course, particularly in the Christian tradition, they have things like baptism, where you have to be willing essentially to say to a group of strangers to the world, I've decided to follow Jesus. So yes, your faith is personal, but it's not private. And that's going to be a challenge for Christopher Luxon as he takes this personal faith into a very public space where the things of faith are naturally present, simply because wherever humans are, whatever they believe is present. Because he's got his talking points, of course, we don't know that much about his faith, so perhaps he'd be more willing to open up when talking to the Christian media.
2: Yeah, I guess, you know, because I've come from a world of business beforehand, you know, I've been in New Zealand and then New Leaver overseas before that, Um, it's never really been, you know, it's always been I've been a CEO first, and and a Christian just happens to be a CEO. Uh, And, you know, when I came to political life, what I found was, you know, some some people wanted to define what that was going to be about, what my faith was about, and so for me, I just felt look, my first chance to speak. I was one of the, I was I was actually the last new MP to speak. You get fifteen minutes to say whatever you really want, sort of why you're there, what you hope to achieve, uh, what you're about, uh, and I thought, no, my faith is really central to me, and I need to define it on my terms. So, yeah, you know, for me, it's pretty simple, right? I mean, um. You know, we want to see Christians in public life um, and we're not extreme because we choose to do so. Um, and, you know, for me, it's just sort of anchored me. It's given me a lot of purpose and it's shaped my values. And, you know, I think it's really important that you're have part of something that's bigger than yourself. And I think um, that's where my faith comes in. And so for me, I think sometimes Christians have been um, separatist, judgmental, uh, and, um, you know, and, and then I think really when you look at Jesus in the Bible, he talks about compassion and he he's a great example, tolerance, care for others, doesn't judge, doesn't discriminate or reject people. Uh, and so that's the sort of, you know, example I think, you know, I'm trying to follow and um imperfectly as I do each and every day. So um yeah, right. but you know, it's uh, it's a great thing, you know, I think it's important that we actually have Christians going into all parts of the world and um and you know, equally going as a Christian into politics, I think it's really important, um, that you do have a separation between faith or religion and state in particular, and I think um, you know the Americans sort of understand that in their political system because they have had you know presidents of faith in their past. Um, but the idea is that you know I'm there to represent all New Zealanders uh, and not just one religion or one group or one interest, and I think you know that's really important as well that I'm not there to force my beliefs on others. Um, and as a result, you shouldn't vote for someone because of their faith, and and you shouldn't reject someone because of their faith either. You know, we need a a really... different set of worldviews are in that that
0: place. Well, it's slightly more open, and I appreciate that uh, he's trying to be very careful, because in the political environment in which we live, we know that to be a Christian is not a popular thing. It's not like the US, where if you're a presidential candidate, you have to at least feign some kind of faith, because it's an absolute given that whoever occupies the White House will be some kind of believer. The opposite is true in New Zealand. And so, consequently, he's being very cautious. Of course, it's not as if he's the only Christian in Parliament, or indeed the only Christian in the National Party. Let's go across the aisle to David Clark from the Labour Party, a former Presbyterian minister, to compare and contrast their views of their faith and the person of Jesus.
3: I've grown up in the Presbyterian church. My mother was a Presbyterian elder, so I've always had a connection with the church. And, um, and I trained for the Presbyterian ministry, um, strong sense that that was the the thing that I needed to do, and uh, there's the this service I needed to provide in my in my life um, as a younger man, and um, and then I've had a sense that um, of, of in religious terms you'd call calling towards politics. After that, right? Um, uh, and and but my um, upbringing um, as a Christian, and and uh, in terms of um, the education that I was fortunate to receive um, as part of my training. Uh, has influenced the, the way I think about the world. You know, I I, I look to the example of um, Jesus and the Bible and the things that he did and the the um, the life that he lived, and that's important to me as I think about um, how I go about uh, politics and the things that I do. It's not something I, you know, this this is probably one of very few interviews where I I canvass this. It's not something that I wear on my shoulder, I guess, or well, my so, sleeve. So so when it, you, of course, it influences it, all of us are influenced by when you look we hold at, there. when you look at that Jesus character in the Bible. Who's your Jesus? Yeah, well, I mean, the Jesus I see in the in the Bible is one who's eating with outcasts, who's um, hanging out with the, the vulnerable, healing the sick and the the weak, um, who says, "Blessed are the poor," um, you know, somebody with compassion uh, who um, goes out and serves others. You know, and, and I think um, when when you kind of read the Bible, uh, the New Testament. Um, it's hard not to see those things. a lot mm. the, the, I guess, if you're asking me to compare to that person who's building walls and all of those things, I don't think you'll see Jesus if you actually read the, read the Bible. Um you won't see Jesus doing those things. Mm. it's it's um there is a lot of stuff that's around the church that doesn't actually reflect what's in the Bible in my view.
0: David Clark, there from the Labour Party, reminding us, of course, that faith is not the domain of conservatives. But it is fascinating, of course, that depending on which side of the political spectrum you find yourself, uh, which parts of the Bible and the Christian message will appeal most. It seems in broad sweeping terms that conservatives favor uh, the more moral aspects of the bible so they tend to be more concerned with issues like abortion for example and euthanasia where the more left-leaning christians tend to favor those social justice parts of the bible caring for the poor making sure that people who can't look after themselves get looked after of course immediately you realize that it's not as if there aren't plenty of people on either side of that political spectrum who would say yeah yeah, hold on i agree with what you just said it's an uncomfortable alliance for christians to find a political party to belong to because no one party reflects all of the things that are important to christians which is of course why so often we've seen these failed attempts at christian political parties today i catch up with alfred naro He's a former national MP, nine years. He's got a good experience there and a former pastor and Christian worker has a theological degree. And I asked him about whether or not faith was part of his story from the beginning.
1: Yeah, uh, look, uh, being uh, Polynesian, being Pacific, um, our parents, my parents came from the Cook Islands um, and we call it the three Fs, uh, faith. So we always learned what it meant to, to get up in the morning, say our prayers, read our Bible, uh, go to church, um, and so faith has always been a key part of who we are. The second F is family, so everything involves around the social construct of what it means to be, I suppose, Pacific and Polynesian. has always been about family, and then the the last F is the future. So um, our parents always sort of would say to us, don't forget, get a good education, get a good job, do well. You know, your success is our success. You know, so, um, yeah, so the future was
0: always something that was impressed upon us. Well, of course, you weren't just any kind of Christian. You are a professional Christian. Tell me about that part of your life. Yeah, well, that's an interesting
1: statement, Aaron. To, is that one of your psychological moments? You try and mess with my head and make me think differently. So, yeah, I mean, being a professional Christian, I I, I suppose what you're saying to me is that, you know, that um, when I uh, stepped into the realm of being a, a politician and then being in politics and then holding my faith, Um, you know, being something that uh, I wasn't afraid of and not ashamed of. In fact, it's something that um, I was quite happy to talk about, how faith affected my politics, my values and my views. And so to me, that was always really important. I went from being a pastor to being a politician. Uh, My kids were PKs, PKs, you know. They said, Dad, you realize we were not only pastors' kids, but we're politicians' kids, you know. And um, and I hadn't thought about that, and I said, yeah, well, that's right. And so... um, yeah, so the whole thing about, I suppose, putting your faith uh, in the public square uh, has always been something that I hadn't thought about, but became very natural. And, like you said, that it's, as I was saying, it's something that we grew up with. So we were never ashamed of it. And I suppose at an early age, we learned how to actually express it in different ways.
0: It's interesting, this kind of transition between pastor and politician. There's a famous quote where Billy Graham was asked if he'd like to be the president of the United States. And he said, no, the office is too low compared to being a preacher of the gospel. A lot of Christians would feel like that way, that being a pastor, particularly in a Pacific Island context, is a position of great uh, respect of manner authority and somehow being a politician maybe not perceived to be that uh, <laughs> much of a promotion perhaps a step down even so talk to me about the sense that uh, you know we can be called uh, by our faith into work that expresses the faith like being a pastor uh, but also into domains where the faith won't be front and center the whole time
1: yeah so what you're talking about is that there's a there's a survey that's done every year called the Trust and Confidence Survey, and it asks people about different sort of uh, their views on different occupations, right? And uh, so, um, so, so it's Aaron. Do you, do you know what the most trusted profession is? Uh, I'm going to hope that
0: something like an airline pilot, because I always trust them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, not no, not quite. Actually, it's a um, it's a fireman. Uh, you know, it's your it's a frontline essential. Works like you know. You know, it's a fireman, you know, it's a um, a paramedic, you know, those are there. And so now the flip side of it, so what do you think is the most,
0: least, trusted profession? I'm going to have to say that uh, people who sell insurance or cars are probably going to get a, a tough, tough role here. Yeah, you're absolutely right. In fact, what
1: has shifted, though, is that journalists have now reached that. So sorry to say this, but journalists have now reached their bottom that's people like bob mccroskey you know who were journalists you know and and so sorry about that bob but um the um and then after that is politicians and uh so straight off the bat you're walking into a role that has the least amount of trust and confidence with people and why is that because all your decisions are now in the public square it's not like you and i in the normal parts of life you could go and do things you could say things and it's only our sphere of influence, once you're in that public square, you're now making promises, you're promoting, you're, you're purposing uh, things into that place. And so therefore you're held to an account uh, for that as well. So yeah, so it's a um, uh for me, I, I never had aspired to do that. And I, I'll be honest with you that um, uh, I'd never been involved in any political party and, and so forth, but I knew that God had prepared us for that. Um, so I can remember that uh, one time uh, Sam Lotoinga, he was the MP for Monga Kiki, he said, said to me, look, you'll be great. Go to the party. And I said, no, I don't want to go there. Anyway, he'd hassled me for two years. I was a bit like Jonah looking for a whale, but none, none came past. And so my wife Moka said to me, look, just go to the meeting. So I go to the meeting and anyway, they said to me, so why do you want to become an MP? And I said, well, actually I don't. So why are you here? Um, because my wife told me to come right? So, and it's a true story so I go there and they said okay, tell us about yourself you know, construction and background I did a theological degree um, pastored in a church for 20 years or in ministry for 20 years and um, yeah, never studied politics never been in any political party and that's when someone said well then you're the perfect candidate and I said well, how do you figure that out why? because it's called the House of Representatives And and I suppose at that moment I felt that um, they, you know, God had called both my wife and I, Mocha, into their place of politics as a way of being a representative, not only for the community and the country, but also for my, for our faith and for our Christian beliefs.
0: It would be normal to expect, actually, someone like yourself to end up in the Labour Party. That's normally where you see Pacific Island Christians. How did you end up in the National Party? Well, it's a bit like Christianity.
1: A lot of times, people make assumptions without knowing the truth, you know. And the thing is, is that you're you're right because normally I think like, okay, because the Labour Party often talk about social values, community, and those are very important, you know, elements uh, of the you know cultural construct of being Polynesian. But the other part that they don't talk about, which uh, National does talk about, is about aspiration, right? Self-determination. In other words, determining our future, what that looks like. An actual fact that we weren't in back even back home, our dependency is in community, but our interdependence is the ability to innovate, to be entrepreneurs. You know, back home in the islands, we run our own businesses, we govern the country, right? And so this is what was actually being put forward to me as those values. And what I could see was that actually those are the values that we need most to succeed and to grow as uh, Pacifica people. And um, and the last thing was that um, the truth is, um, the Labour Party never came and asked me where the National Party did. And I believe it's because um, I wasn't a needy person, right? (laughs) I mean, I was independent, mobile, articulate, I could do what I believed that I needed to do. I didn't need people to help me to succeed. Um, And in fact, um, being independent, made me i suppose was more attractive to the national party coming and asking
0: me to bring my values uh, into the party it's interesting that labor would want to say that they are the party of christianity with its sleeves rolled up and yet all these years later many modern day evangelical christians would perceive that someone like yourself conservative and christian is a real Christian. But a Labour politician who's also a Christian is probably not a real Christian. Talk to me about this kind of perception that somehow, uh, in some circles of the church, the faith must always express itself in a certain direction politically. Well, see, that's
1: that's been part of the problem, Aaron, is that we we buy into the narrative, you're either left or right, you're either blue or red, you're either white or black, and all it does is divide us and confuse us rather than actually saying, actually, what are the values that we have that are important and how do we express them? And actually what people are looking for are people who express good values, strong principles, right? And a maturity that gives them confidence. But instead, um, and it's unfortunate that the political climate is set up so we're sort of so adversarial, that we're we're about saying we're better than the other. I mean, one of the things is that um, when I was in parliament for those nine years, um, i got on with most people across the house in fact some of my own colleagues um, would turn around and said, oh how do you you know you i saw you having coffee or having lunch you know with someone from the labor and i said well we all, we play for the parliamentary rugby team you know we get on with each other we talk um we may not agree on certain things so our ideologies may be different but what we do have in common then we should walk collectively together and to me this is where I believe that there's a challenge even now to politics uh, currently in our nation, because it's all become about you know, um, personality politics, rather than about principles. We've lost that sense of actually what's important. And often we try to make promises that we can't keep. But here's the, the flip side, Aaron, is that when you do make a mistake and you say sorry, on one hand, the nation says, we want transparency, we want integrity, but then when you're upfront and honest about it, they see it as weakness. And I can remember one time when I was a cabinet minister, well, I had to apologize for something that I said. Do you know what happened, Aaron, to one of the journalists? They turned around and said to me, can you stop apologizing? I said, well, I only said it twice. And they said, yeah, but that's twice too many. And so there's this, there's this interesting sort of um, sort of dichotomy of things, of ideology that are clashing. On one hand, they want this. But then when you give it to them, they don't want that. So what do they want?
0: Talk to me about uh, wearing your faith on on your sleeve in the life of politics. For you, of course, it was unavoidable. A former pastor couldn't shake the fact that you were known as a Christian. But there are others in your party and in the Labour Party and probably the other ones to boot who are Christians but who really kind of keep that on the down low. We might call them undercover brothers. (laughs) Tell me about the difference between being sort of out loud and proud about your faith and, and keeping it on the down low? Well, you know, in, in my first six years of, of politics, I have to say that,
1: you know, for me, I, I was, um, I exercised those Christian values. Like I wasn't preaching to people, but I'd go to the prayer meetings, they'd have a thing called a pre breakfast. Um, I'd stand up for, against things like when the, um, uh, which they call it the same-sex marriage bill that came through. And, uh, and I remember I was challenged on that, um, Actually, by Duncan Garner one time, I was heading into uh, the caucus room, and he said, Alfred, how are you going to vote on the gay marriage bill?" And I said, well, it's not gay marriage. It's called marriage redefinition. And then he said, no, it's not. I said, yes, it is. He said, how are you going to vote anyway? I said, well, I'm going to vote against it. He said, well, there you go. You're homophobic. And I said, well, no. (laughs) I said, if you look at it, it's redefining marriage as we've known it, right? That comes from a Judeo-Christian base, comes from the Bible, So while we've got civil union, why would people who have a value that's not biblical want to change a definition that comes from a biblical base? And so I suppose that was the first time, you know, in 2012 where I was stepping out and speaking my values into that. You know, the interesting thing, Aaron, I never spoke against people, but because I made a stand, people felt that I was a threat to their own values. And so I believe that you can stand without being a threat but the truth is when you stand for your own truth people perceive it that way and then they speak out against you and even say that well look you know you're um you're trying to push your values and your views onto us uh when i wasn't you know as time went on i exercised that by i would say to people i'm here to serve and i'd use those words intentionally so wherever the party or people that were in there, ministers you know i would travel i would serve them and i i used the values that were there um, in a very real way and I believe that brought favour for me and I became a cabinet minister at the end of 2016. Um, but it was, wasn't until the end of 2017 we came out of politics and I uh, had well, a parliament and government um, and that I said to the prayer to the Lord, I said should I stay or should I go? And when the name of Jesus was taken out of the parliamentary prayer, it's like the Holy Spirit was really clear. I've chosen you for such a time to be a watchman on the wall, Ezekiel 33.7, and to uphold the name of Jesus as a banner for the nation. So every morning when Parliament sat, I would pray from 5.30 in the morning to 7 o'clock, inside and outside of Parliament. Why? Because I wanted to be the best watchman. I wanted to pray and intercede. So what am I saying, Aaron? You know, our faith has to be more than just an accessory, right? It can't be something we put on and take off. It has to be something that totally embodies who we are. It doesn't have to be something that actually is forceful onto other people, but just by our presence, just as Christ teaches us, that by being present and having, you know, the values that people see, you're not just a good person. Actually, you're a person that actually has great values that love, care, and forgive people, but also, too, speaks out against injustice and unrighteousness, things that you see that are wrong that you can speak out against them. And I've done that uh, in my nine years that was there. I called out bad behavior. I said that wasn't good enough. And people didn't like that. You know? And there was there was definitely some bad behavior, which I believed that was not good. And I called it, I went straight to them. Other people used it as gossip to say, oh, did you know about so and so? I didn't. I went straight to that person and said, hey, I've been told that this is what's happening about you. And if it's true, then you need to set it right and put it back into order. If it's not, then it's up to you to choose to do that. So that's
0: how I live my faith um, in politics and in parliament. It was the last election, it became clear that you were really being sidelined. You kind of could see the writing on the wall that unless you won your local electorate, you weren't getting back in. Uh, was that a case, do you think? I mean, I know these things are complicated of being, in a sense, too Christian for the party now. Or were, were the issues far more complex than that?
1: Oh, you know, they're, they're always complex. But I, I do think that in some cases, um, because I spoke out strongly against the euthanasia bill, the abortion law reforms. Uh, uh, And again, I never spoke, I never um, forcefully put my views onto other people. I just advocated in a robust uh, way, which is what Parliament's all about. Um, I I believe for some people um, that, yeah, I I became a threat. It's interesting because then someone said to me, oh, you know, your conservatism has become a bit of a threat. And I I said, well, give me an example. In what way? Did I stand over someone? And uh, did the old, and I was an evangelist back in the day reading Ray Comfort's, you know, all my friends are dying. I went to the Billy Graham Internet Evangelist Conference. So, in my heart, is always about sharing the gospel of good news. But I'd say to people, you know, had I ever done that to anyone in such a way to forcefully tell people, I mean, I could share my faith and I have. And they said, well, no. Have you ever stood up in caucus and turned around and criticized people for their values that were different to mine? They said, no. So, what is it that I've become a threat? And people couldn't name it. But here's what I want to say, Aaron, which is a concern that we need to be aware of, is that conservatism has been sort of connected to being old, traditional, and irrelevant. Liberalism is now being seen as progressive and as the way of the future, right, um, for the nation and for our communities. So if you're conservative as a Christian, then you're like, you know, a boomer, a dying, <laughs> you're dying breed. And now they've actually shifted that away from what I believe is really important. So, you know, I believe we need to speak into that. We need to push back at that and actually say that the values that have been tried and true love, trust, you know, integrity, uh, and acceptance, all of those things, actually, they're, uh, they're always going to be values that are going to be important for us as a nation.
0: The Bible says to be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves kind of sounds like a difficult thing to be. If you had to do your time over again, or perhaps talking to a politician who has a faith, but who's wondering, gee, how much do I let others know and see that faith? And how do I let it inform my experience as a politician? What advice would you give to a newbie?
1: Yeah, look, the advice I'd give is, is that, you know, everything that we do in our Christian faith has to be based on a conviction and a conviction means that we you know god speaks to us through his word and then empowers us through his holy spirit and so we, we always have to turn to the word so uh, for both my, my wife moka and I, our calling us from isaiah 58 and i love that because it says make your voice like a trumpet challenge the nation my people that this is the, the kind of fasting i've called you to do and then verse six it talks about so here's the fasting uh, uh, to release the chains of injustice to lift the yoke of oppression, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, give shelter to the homeless, look after your own flesh and blood. Rebuild the city walls, restore the streets of dwellings. So that's God's kingdom development plan. That's always been who we are. So you've got to have a strong conviction. And then you've got to find your sense of purpose and what God is calling you. Because people are looking, if you don't have a purpose or that has your sense of identity, then people don't know who you are. And so I know that my purpose that I've been given is to not only bring inspiration and innovation to ideas, uh, to solutions, to problems that we face, um, but also to um, to create um, a sense of acceptance and belonging. So creating community. So here's the funny thing, um, uh, Aaron, um, in parliament, I pretty much knew all the security guards, the cleaners, the caretakers, and my, mates, my, my colleagues used to say to me, how do you know all these people? And I see it doesn't take, it only takes two minutes to say hello and ask a person how they're doing and how's their day and to get to know their name. So we need to know what community and create community. And in the end, I became like the de facto um, pastor of parliament, right? I'd have security and other people come up and pray for their marriages when they were sick and for their children, you know. And in the end, many of them came along and basically, when I was leaving parliament, gave me a hug. You know, shook my hand and said, "We're really going to miss you." And I suppose, in a sense, when you go into politics, don't forget your witness is the way that you present yourself to other people as well. And you can have such a, a compassion and caring, but the the authority that Jesus brought when he when he ministered was the ability to be present in such a way that you confronted the truth when it was there, and not be afraid of that. We need to have a backbone and a spine that's not afraid to stand up for the things that we believe in and when we do that I believe that you know politicians with a faith if you can hold on to conviction be known what your purpose is and then bring them together that presence wherever you are in politics and in parliament will truly make a difference.
0: What a fabulous conversation today with Alfred Naro he makes so many excellent points. Uh, that it's very hard to pick out in particular uh, one thing, except to say that what a difference clarity and conviction make, right? It meant that Alfred didn't have to second-guess himself in the political arena. And I fear for Christopher Luxon and and other Christians in Parliament that without clarity, what you get is this kind of second-guessing. What is going to be popular? What is going to be palatable? What will others think of me if I actually confess to believing a certain thing about the way human beings are made and the way in which they flourish. We all have ideas about that. And of course, we need to remind ourselves that no faith is of course a religious position. Atheism, agnosticism, they're all ways of viewing the world. And we bring those into every part of our life and so of course we shouldn't expect our politicians to be able to put those things down i think increasingly what we just need is transparency we just want to know what do people really think what do they really believe and see if we can find some common ground certainly earlier in the episode when i was comparing the things that christopher luxon said about his faith with the things that david clark said I couldn't help but think, why can't they just get along in Parliament? They seem to think so very similarly on so many things. You'd actually think that rather than Christianity and faith being something that's divisive, It should be unifying. It should be, in fact, the thing that brings the parties together so that we don't have this stupid bipartisan approach to every topic where if one party says that that's white, the other one says, well, it must be black then, as if it's their job to be a contrarian. Maybe faith actually, rather than being a problem, might be one of the solutions, might be the thing that can draw us together around the table. Certainly, I see that Christopher Luxon has found, I think, a helpful way of talking about faith. I see that on one of the interviews on the day that he was appointed, he remarked that, uh, when asked about his faith, that he saw things differently, and it was good to have different points of view. I think that's a good starting point. We all have our point of view. Let's learn to be honest about that, and let's make sure that we don't impose our view on them. The challenge, of course, for Christians in all parts of life right now? Is it what do you mean when you say so and so is a Christian? Because, of course, that's a whole big range of ideas and behaviors and you might not agree to all of them. You might not ascribe to all of them. So we're going to have to do less assuming and more listening, something that we're not particularly good at in our culture. But good on Christopher Luxon for putting himself out there, at least to be honest, that he is a person of faith. And of course, he's got, in a sense, the most hated job in politics, leader of the opposition, but he could be the next prime minister. And how would New Zealand cope with having a strong evangelical Christian Uh, in the beehive. We will find out potentially. Love to hear your thoughts about this. You can visit the website activeintelligence.nz and make sure you hit subscribe. We'll send you every episode and we'll catch you next time on Active Intelligence.